Well, ultimately, when you are trying to engage with your company, your business partners, you have something that you have to offer. But if they don't understand what it is you have to offer, well, then you're not going to have a match. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to a brand new three-part series, Compelling Communication. In a recent episode of Status Go, CIO Ryan Brubaker of Seven Corners stated, At the end of the day, as a CIO, I'm in sales. That got us thinking here at Status Go. Wouldn't it be great to bring Anita Nielsen, author of Beat the Bots and sales coach extraordinaire, back on the show and have her dive deep into that concept with several CIOs? So we're doing exactly that. I'm your host, Jeff Tun, and I'd like to welcome Anita Nielsen to the program. Welcome, Anita. Thanks, Jeff. I'm so excited to be here, and thank you for the kind words, as always. So I love that episode, and I can tell you, when I did IT strategy consulting and kind of a sales role um, years ago, and I won't tell you how many, we used to meet with a lot of CIOs and VPs of IT, and one of the things that was most frustrating to me was in order for us to be able to position what we wanted to sell, they needed to be able to sell it internally. We were all salespeople. We were really good at selling what we were selling, but we couldn't be necessarily with the people that we were selling to to go position it internally. So there was a lot of coaching that took place. And I remember saying repeatedly, my goodness, you know, if I could get all these guys and gals to take a training class in sales, we would be in a different world. Because at the end of the day, sales is an exchange of value, right? So when you look at IT and their internal business units or the organization, they have to create value and deliver value, which is exactly what sales has to do. So when I heard what Ryan said, I was like, wow, this is perfect. And I hope everyone is listening because it's exactly the mindset we need. Well, and as you know, we brought Ryan onto this program so that yes. you have a chance to talk with Ryan about his thoughts around this concept. So to welcome Ryan back, once again, Ryan is the CIO for Seven Corners. And we've had him on an episode recently. So Ryan, meet Anita. Anita, meet Ryan. Great to meet you, Anita. And thanks, Jeff, for having me on. Good to see you, Ryan. So Anita, I will toss to you. What questions do you have for Ryan on this concept of the CIO as a salesperson? So I I just want to hear all about the thought process, but I'll start with a question, Ryan. I want to hear, how did you come to this? What made you just think of that statement? And I'm assuming that's how you kind of live your life as a CIO. Where did that come from? Well, ultimately, when you are trying to engage with your company, your business partners, you have something that you have to offer, like you mentioned, but if they don't understand what it is you have to offer, well, then you're not going to have a match. So this actually, I'll take you back to a story from a long time ago in my career, about 20 years ago, uh, when I wasn't in management yet, but I had a coworker who was frustrated with IT at the company that I was at. And he was frustrated because he was a software developer and in, it was a software company. And so in software companies, since the development is the product, uh, they're in a different department than IT. So IT is what you'd traditionally think of as INO. 
at a software company. And so he was mad because he, his video card went bad. And I think he lost a day or two before IT would come replace his video card. So when he finally got his video card, he was so livid that he had lost a day or two of work. And in his mind, you know, he's the product. And so it was very arrogant. It wasn't necessarily an appropriate statement. But he said, if I ever run an IT department, I'm going to make everyone wear tuxes and tails to work every day so that they understand that they're here to serve everyone else. Now, that was a moment of not the best, most kind words coming from my colleague, but it stuck with me that I thought, well, if I am ever running an IT department, what would I want kind of the posture to be? And I fashioned myself as wanting to be a servant leader. And so that kind of made sense that, so I actually talk to people about this when, when they're hired on. I have what I call my new employee speech that I walk everyone through. And one of the things I talk about is this idea of, while we don't require you to wear tuxes and tails at seven corners, of course, uh, imagine if you had that in your mind, that when you're called over to someone's desk because they need your help, your assistance, or they need to help define a solution, that imagine that you're wearing tuxes and tails. Wouldn't that put you in kind of a different frame of mind? That ultimately kind of led me into that feeling or mindset belief system, so to speak, that we really need to be selling what our capabilities are, because otherwise we're not really serving them very well. That's amazing. And I love what you just said there about leadership that stuck with me, right? That servant leadership. I think it's so important. Well, even in sales, you know, we talk about leadership being such a critical component of sales. When I do coaching and training on it, um, you know, there's a big overlap between leadership skills and what you do in sales, which like anything, you know, if you've got good leadership skills, you'll uh, rise to the top. So wh- what would you say from your standpoint are some of the leadership skills that CIOs need to have in order to help create an organization like this? Well, I think part of it is thinking strategically. I think yeah, there absolutely. are times where you fall into the trap of thinking about what's the best firewall for this application or how should we structure such and such. And they don't necessarily truly identify with what are the business priorities, what are we trying to accomplish as, as a company. Uh, that's really where the CIO can add a lot of value is if they're talking at the executive level and they're not talking about, hey, we need a new phone system because it's going to be way cooler. Uh, you know, I mean, the executive team is thinking about how do we drive revenue, how do we reduce cost, or how do we improve security? And so that's the main you know, three buckets they're kind of thinking about, even if they don't understand that fully in their own minds, but that's really how they want to be talked to. And so as you're putting together plans, uh, you're going to talk about, hey, this new phone system is going to drive a much better customer experience, which drives revenue. There you go. One of the three buckets. So having those conversations that are, yes, it's a little more of a, more like sales technique, not, not in the way of like, I'm necessarily trying to sell them on something that's specifically a purchase. Sometimes it's just a strategy or a, a way to design a solution, but communicating in those terms is how people want to be talked to. That's awesome. And so communication being something that's so important at an organizational level, at the CIO level, how do you communicate to your teams? I mean, I know you would give them the speech when they begin, and I know you're constantly coaching them along the way, but what type of formal communications, if any, do you have in place to help foster this um, mindset? So we are a big Yammer shop, and one of the Ooh. things we do every week is we post, not every week as in weekly, but throughout the week, we post updates about the things that we're delivering or identifying. And the way I've been 
talking to my team lately, like maybe over the last couple of years, is that we live in a Twitter world. So what can you communicate in 140 characters? Because there's this tendency, especially in IT where we love data, to publish these 72 things that are currently in the backlog. <laughs> there's 14 that are scheduled for this sprint. That's delivered on this date. And it just kind of becomes like this big um, book of information and really people they want to just see a blip on yammer that says hey we just launched the ability to do this workflow in salesforce or hey we just updated this in our financial system that's really how people see uh value is those small mm -hmm. little things absolutely it's like the rubber hits the road at what that means to that person and that brings me to one of the things i love to say about value right value is in the eye of the customer in your case, it's the business units and the team, your business partners, which, by the way, I love that you call them that. Um, and in sales, it's, you know, whomever they're selling to. So talk to me a little bit about that. About delivering value? Yes, yes. Sorry. What value means to the customers? Yeah. So value to the customer is really anything that drives their initiatives forward. However they're measured, however they're monitored, that's what they're trying to drive forward. So if we bring something to them that we say, this is an improvement, but in their mind, it doesn't improve their numbers, their metrics, their KPIs, anything that their boss is measuring, then they really may or may not see any value in that. So how do you have good conversations and good relationships with them so that they understand, so that you understand what they're trying to accomplish and what's going to move the needle for them. That's what they're, how they're going to view value. One of the things that I'm always coaching my team on is this idea of shadow IT, right? It's, everybody hates shadow IT, <laughs> yes. but the way to stop shadow IT is to make sure that you deliver what your business partners need. And so I actually take an extreme ownership approach to that. And I try to coach my team to really think about it, not over, not in an overly harsh way, but really think about it as a failure. Like when someone goes and swipes their credit card and buys some kind of shadow IT, think of it as a failure in a, in a couple of different ways. Either we didn't have the capabilities to deliver it, or we weren't selling ourselves enough so that they understood we have the capabilities to deliver it, or we didn't feel like a partner enough to them to where they wanted to include us in the overall solution design. So whether it's any one of those things, we ultimately need to view it as we just failed because they felt like they had to go buy something. I love this. So Ryan, you know you have a career in sales enablement and sales coaching if you ever want it, right? <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, lo I love what you just said there. So, you know, this idea of value, right? And what matters, what, I, it's just, it's so, it's parallel to sales, right? So we work really hard as sales professionals to ask the right questions to understand what value actually looks like for that customer. Because that's, like I said before, that's where the rubber hits the road. How do you coach your team to proactively go out and ask those types of questions? Is there um, an ongoing cadence of meetings that they have? How, what does that look like? So we do have an all company stand up for 15 minutes every Monday morning. And that's okay. an opportunity. So we invite everybody to that. Uh, we work very hard to do a good job of cascade communication as Patrick Lynchoni puts it. Yeah. So we do have, you know, executive meetings and then leadership meetings, and then that cascades down into director, team lead, manager, those kinds of groups. So the idea is that as long as we're constantly communicating, then we have to be in on each other's lives to understand what each other is working on. That's another big value of Yammer in our organization. And yeah. some people use Slack and other things. The technology is, is not important. What's important is that you're using some kind of a tool where you can announce things, talk about things that are going on across the entire company. And 
then building a culture where everyone's just friendly, where we're all on the same team. We're all rowing in the same direction. The enemy is outside our doors uh, is yeah. a phrase that I like to use. So as long as you're not treating some other department, like they're a silo, they're an enemy, but we think of it as us all being on the same team, then we get to know each other. And then when we hear somebody talking about something or they want to even bring it to us and say, hey, here's what I'm trying to accomplish, then we can start adding value there. That's amazing. So these parallels are like popping in my head like fireworks here. So you talked a little bit about value and I didn't think of this then, but um, when we're in sales and I talk to salespeople, they'll come back and say, I need a, I lost on price, which they learn after a while not to say that to me. But, um, you know, I'm like, what do you mean you lost on price? Well, they, they went to a competitor who charged more. Said, okay. Well, how much more? Maybe some, maybe a lot. Well, what do you think you could have done better? And, you know, of course, that's like an answer that they just look at me. What is she after, right? She's trying to trick me into saying something. But the reality is I, I always end up with this idea that, look, if someone is going to buy from someone else, it's not because of price. It's because you did not show the value. And that's also similar to, you know, employees. We talk about employees who leave companies. Um, is it because of the necessarily because of their income or their salary? Sometimes, sometimes not. A lot of times it's because they don't feel valued. So this idea of value is just so pervasive, um, and that parallel is really important. And so it sound, I'm gonna might have to steal what you said there about um, what was the failure, right? It's just when you don't show that value. Okay, so back to communication. Sorry for that aside. I just thought of it. Um, what's a communication? Do you have a formal plan for communication, or is it just this ongoing informal yammer, um, or are there like monthly emails that you send out? The formality we get to is when we start to follow our agile process. So we have uh, monthly stakeholder meetings. We have yes. release notes that come out every two weeks when we release software. So we have those types of formality, but nothing as far as a uh, roadmap communication plan. That really all comes through stakeholder, through just explaining where we're at and what we're working through. Brilliant. And so when you're doing hiring, what are some of the things you're looking for in your team, knowing that this is a kind of a unique role, not your traditional, I would say, IT role, where you really are having them step up and serve the business? Yeah. So, I mean, on a very light way of saying it would be full stack. And we yeah. say full stack for whether it's a software engineer who's doing front end and back end work and API work, but whether it's on the business intelligence side where they're doing ETL or visualizations or data warehousing. Uh, we really believe in bringing in people that are almost like consultants. I have a consulting background. That's the type of people I like to have on uh -huh. my team are people who think of themselves as consultants, that they're there to help provide a solution. And we regularly run into that. And that's something that I work with with my mem fellow members of the executive team is we're always talking about how to coach both of our teams. Their team needs to not bring a solution to IT and just say, implement this. Mm -hmm. Their team needs to come and say, hey, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. In the same way, my team, I'm always coaching them, don't just accept a solution that's handed to you and start implementing it. Say, hey, what are you trying to accomplish? Let's work on this together. And by doing that, that's how you really start to align what the ultimate business value is going to be. That's great. I mean, in terms of um, you know, your seat at the table with the executive leadership, tell me a little bit about how, how you sold everyone there on this idea of this, you know, kind of, it's, almost, it's visionary still in this day and time of having an organization that serves, truly serves the IT team. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always an ongoing process of, like I said, being in sales, right? I'm selling yes. them all the time on what we can provide. So if, they, if for example, the VP of uh, sales comes to me and says, I need this kind of a solution, then before he goes off and just buys something, he talks to me about it and we say, okay, let's talk together about what you're trying to accomplish and talk about whether this is the best solution or not. And does it fit into our ecosystem and all the other things related to security that I have to think about that he may not have to think about. So having that 
kind of collegial relationship amongst the executive team is critical. Oh, that's great. And you said consultant background. I should have did a big ding, 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 ding at that moment, right? Because one of the things I think is so important for salespeople is this ability to consult and guide and coach all of those things. And those are not, I mean, they're not that easy to teach. So it's almost like people have to kind of come to you with that. So what do you do when you have someone on your team that you know, they seem to have all these things, but they get into the business and they're just not... Um, getting it, like this idea of serving, how do you coach them up into being able to have that mindset? So we follow the ideal team player model from Patrick Lynch. Love it. Yes. Humble, hungry, and smart. And so we do talk in those terms a lot during one-on-one sessions and coaching, uh, depending on what it is that we think the issue is. Maybe it's a a hunger. Somebody doesn't want to jump into a new technology or it's a smart about just how they're interacting with uh, another department head, for example. So those are the ways that we would kind of approach that and say, hey, here's here's the positives of what we are seeing you're doing well, but here's some areas where we think you could grow and then be more consultative. That's great. I love that you said humble, hungry, smart, because I mean, this and I follow Lencioni, I've um, gotten some certification in it in the past as well. The smart one, I feel like is the hardest, right? Because that has to do, I don't want to say emotional intelligence, but just this um, understanding of uh, human beings and how they interact around you, almost like a psychology piece of it. Mm -hmm. To me, with IT people in my experience, and I can say this because I married one, um, emotional intelligence is not necessarily the strongest suit for um, some of these folks. So that's a toughie to train. Um, how do you know that? You, how do you ask and find out that they are um, smart? With companies that I coach, you know, smart is the hardest one. What are you? What are the things you're looking for in interviewing and hiring to suss that out? Well, there's a couple of things that we do that are probably a little different than some companies. Some of it is we apply a lot of the Lynchoni questions. Uh, yeah. How would your friends describe you? Some of the things that disarm them and get them to talk more openly about how they are. We yeah. also do a event with an employee or a, sorry, with a candidate before we would bring them on as a team member. We do an event with them. We get them out of their element. We might go to Top Golf. Uh, we might just go out to lunch, out to breakfast. Uh, we try to ride with them. So they meet us at the office and then we ride together to the event because it's amazing how comfortable people get with you know windshield time. And they, they forget that this is an actual part of the interview, right? They're just sitting in the car with me on the way to Top Golf. And yeah. so now they're talking about former bosses, former colleagues, former relationships, things that can be really helpful to identify people that are that really have all of those qualities. And then lastly, we really look for people that have passions outside of work. We're looking yeah. for people that fix up old cars or have their own side business making jewelry. I mean, those are the kinds of people that we really like to hire at Seven Corners because by having that kind of hunger and that passion, it shows that they're ready to engage with people and not just do a J-O-B. Yeah. And what a hell of an interesting team you have if you have people like that on there. So that's a bonus. Yes, we do. (laughs) So I'm so excited talking to you. I realize I'm completely monopolizing. Um, Not that Jeff is unfamiliar with that. So Jeff, what (laughs) I'm going to give it back to you. Is there anything that you'd like to ask Ryan? Otherwise, I will continue to fangirl here. No, that's awesome because I'm a I'm a fanboy. So you can be the fangirl. I'll be the fanboy. Yay team. Uh, And and I was going to jump in anyway, because Ryan, as you're talking, the question that's popping into my head is, have you had formal sales training, you personally? I have not had formal sales training. Now, I, my started, I started my career at Deloitte & Touche as a consultant. So there was some mm-hmm. level of onboarding there. At the time, they were like 85,000 employees. So there was some pretty rigorous training there. 
Um, when I was in college, I sold electronics at Sears. I sold cell phones Ooh. back when you actually installed a cell phone into a car. Uh, that was the thing. Uh, and so I've read a lot of Tom Hopkins and, you know, Grant Cardone and how, you know, how to sell and all of that yeah. stuff, just books and all kind of self-trained, but I've never really had any formal like corporate sales training. So you basically were self-taught mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, right? Reading those books that you mentioned, and you mentioned several others uh, already today. How were you able to translate that selling cell phones back in the day to selling IT concepts and services inside an organization like that? How did you make that leap? I think a lot of it is really working hard to make the complex simple and understanding your audience. So early on, it became very obvious, even just selling a VCR at Sears. Now I'm really dating myself uh, (laughs) that, you know, for someone to jump into this is hi-fi and it has a left and right and start to get into the science behind what that does to your brain, people would gloss over. You very quickly figure it out that that's not meeting them at the level of of what they're trying to accomplish. So early on, I learned when you're working with people, understand their desire for level of detail, where are they at conceptually? Do they relate better to analogies? Do they relate better to a owner's manual? To, you know, getting the right thing into their hands or into their mind that's going to help them understand the solution is going to be better for me as the salesperson. And so then taking that into IT and into IT solutions, uh, I later found myself, you know, long after my career at Deloitte, I found myself running a consulting practice at a IT consulting firm here in town. And now I was talking with business partners about multi-million dollar opportunities. And I found that the same was exactly true, that whether you're selling someone a VCR and you're going into too much detail about what a hi-fi is, or whether you're selling them a Salesforce to dynamic CRM migration and you're getting into way too much detail about exactly how you're going to do the ETL, like that's going to lose you the sale or at least lose you interest from the person you're speaking with. So understanding their capability, their technical acumen, their interest, maybe they're a higher level person that's really all they are is focused on budget to your point earlier. So now it's a matter of how do I make sure that they know what is that value that I'm delivering, even if it's maybe more expensive than a, than a competitor. And that reminds me of a story. So I was doing um, sales coaching with a team and it was, we called it the large deal pursuit team. And um, we had a sales engineer, brilliant guy. I mean, just one of the smartest people I know. And he put together all this content, this really good technical information. And so we go to do a presentation and the um, VP of IT is there. The director of IT is the very, very technical one. The VP of IT, she's relatively new to the role um, and not very technical. And then they'd invited the CEO. So this brilliant, amazing technologist gets up and starts to explain within about 45 seconds, the CEO is looking at his watch looking at the wall, looking at different things, kind of playing with his fingernails. And I wanted to sink into the ground. Unfortunately, that was not an option at that time. I was trying to figure out how to you know, take it away. But simplification is so important. And I think um, sometimes when you're in IT and you have that kind of a you know, really, I say big brain, um, when you have that kind of a mind, it's hard to dissociate that with the idea that that's what makes you great. Right. I think a lot of times um, to people that are technological, they think that their expertise and their level of understanding of technology is what makes them amazing. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it's their ability to really care about the customer. Yep. Right. And so that's one of my um, favorite things to try to teach. And it's hard. That's the hardest thing to teach. But I think once you can get them past it, 
one of the things, well, so of course, my way of doing it is saying, hey, if you can, if you can explain it to me, you can explain it to anybody. <laughs> so yeah. that's a built-in check. But yeah, I think that's exactly what's at play with IT teams as well. Yeah, I have a presentation that I give regularly to my team, somewhat regularly, and it's about how to demo. And it's kind of along those same lines. And I compare it to going for a test drive that imagine if you sat down in a car and you asked the car dealer, hey, does this car have air conditioning? And he says, not only does it have air conditioning, give me five minutes. We're going to get a temperature sensor. We're going to stick it in the vent. We're going to, you're going to watch it go up to drop to 50 degrees. And I'm going to prove to you it has air conditioning. And you're th- sitting there thinking, I just wanted to know if it had air conditioning. And so that, it's funny how, you know, when we, we demo, we tend to try to like prove functionality or prove that it worked. And a lot of times it's just simply just a, yes, it has that is sufficient. But then other times they might invite you in. So for example, I I compare it to you get in the car and you say, does it have four wheel drive? And the salesperson should initially just answer, yes, it does. And then when the person says, well, you know what? I had a truck that had four wheel drive, but you had to lock the hubs and it was a huge pain. Can you show me how how easy it is to work it? Well, now you as a salesperson have been invited in. And so now, yes, I'm going to go ahead and show you how to engage the four wheel drive and how to use that. And it's the same kind of idea with selling or demoing software or products or anything IT is, you know, start at the higher level and then be invited in to show more detail or to prove something out if if you're asked. I love what you said a minute ago, Ryan, about uh, the communication styles and changing the communication style based on the audience, the listener, uh, and the story that you told. How are you helping your team learn to discern the communication style of their audience? Hmm. Well, at Seven Corners, we do a lot around DISC and EQ. So we do those assessments. We talk about what each other is and the fact that there is no wrong or right personality. So that can help. Uh, And then just a lot of coaching and growing, understanding, is this the type of person that wants to start very high level and then peel back an onion one layer at a time? Or is this a person who's going to immediately be distrusting unless you bring all of the data, right? You have all of those types of people in your business partner departments. And so just understanding that and talking a lot about that, understanding what you are. Are you a highly dominant person? Are you extroverted or introverted? All of those things will help you to understand how you relate to other people as well and where areas you might need to maybe beef up on or get out of your comfort zone to have more of a sales conversation. Yeah, I think that's great. I'm a big fan of the DISC as well, the understanding communication styles. Um, so spoiler alert, uh, if you guys are fans of Lencioni, they are in the process of coming up with um, something called the six types of working genius, which is kind of based a little bit on disc and personality profiles, and it simplifies everything. So you guys, I'll have to call you once it comes up just to see how you implemented it, because um, that's going to be really helpful as well in that environment. Right. Is there anything I can answer for you? Is there anything you want to know about how we do things in sales? I've just been asking you all these questions. What do you find is the biggest roadblock to even having that kind of partnership mentality with someone you're trying to sell to versus just a vendor mentality? Yeah, it's the um, it's the inability to be curious and make that customer recognize that you're in their corner, right? Like you, if you a vendor comes in with this idea of they want to sell, whereas um, what I call a customer advocate, sales professional, they go in with this idea that they're going to help the customer make a decision help the customer buy, not sell them, help them buy, which I guess in IT, you would say, you know, help them figure out what is the best IT solution for that business problem. So it's not all that different, but that mindset switch is often very difficult, especially given, you know, people come from different backgrounds, but it really is about that. And then we go into curiosity is the first way 
that you do that. Like people love to feel heard. So if you ask questions and listen, now that those roadblocks start falling away, right? Because in our world, who listens anymore, sure. right? So, I mean, this is from somebody who texts her teenagers upstairs um, from downstairs. So, you know, those really, those questions or those um, conversations where you really feel heard are so rare. People love to speak about themselves, but more than that, they love to be heard. Once you got that going, you start to differentiate yourself from being just a vendor. It's a great question. Makes sense. Well, we could talk all day. I know <laughs> yeah. because uh, we've done it before, but our listeners are all about action. That's why they tune into Status Go. They're looking for things that they can put in place within their departments, within their lives. So Ryan, I want to start with you. What's one thing our listeners should do tomorrow because they listen to our conversation today? I would start by thinking about these concepts and really just evaluating how much time do I spend communicating the value that I have to bring? How much time do I spend explaining what the service catalog really is that I can deliver? And beyond that, even if it's something you can't deliver and should be outsourced, how do you make sure you are always communicating that you're still the go-to person, even if it should be outsourced, to make sure that you have a completely integrated solution that meets all of the needs? I love that. Think about how much time you're spending thinking about communicating. And my guess is a lot of people in the CIO IT leadership role probably don't spend enough time thinking about that. So thank you for that. Anita, what's your call to action for our listeners? I mean, you know, I have such a hard time picking one, so we'll do a BOGO. So what we, what I would say is figure out how to teach your people to be curious. It's a difficult thing to do, but reinforce them when they're asking a lot of questions of your business partners and then help them learn how to listen better, right? And so whatever that takes, I mean, there's tons of resources out there um, and I can even try to put some um, in the notes, but those two things, the ability to ask really good questions and then listen very intently, it'll change the game in terms of how you relate with either customers or um, internal business partners. It's just that ability to make human beings feel valued, right? And then you'll earn the right to learn what is valuable to them. I love that. Be curious, ask great questions, and listen. Uh, Fabulous advice. Ryan, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk with us today. And Anita, of course, thank you for the commitment to help us with this series. I really appreciate the time both of you have spent on this episode. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. It was great to talk with you, Ryan. I could go on for hours. And thank you. I enjoyed it as well. To our listeners, if you have a question, if you're curious and you want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Anita Nielsen and Ryan Brubaker. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.